The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The opinions expressed here reflect the judgment of the host and are subject to change. The material has been prepared and can be distributed for information purposes and is not a solicitation or an offer to buy any security or instrument or to participate in any trading strategy. Additional information is available upon request. Please contact Jason Steele at info at westonbanks.com. Welcome to Media and Your Money with host Jason Steele. Our program will help you make the most of your investment plans, whether it's for your future, your child's future, or short and long-term financial planning. Now, here is your host, Jason Steele. Good morning, East Coast. Wake up, West Coast. It's 9 a.m. here in the Carolinas and 41 degrees. Can you believe it's almost Easter and what crazy weather we have had? 82 last Saturday here in Raleigh and a major dusting of pollen. And now Old Man Winter returned to keep us from working in the garden again. Welcome to our inaugural show of Media and Your Money. I'm your host, Jason Steele, so thank you for dialing in. The premise of our show is to explore, educate, and tear down the walls of traditional money management and then show our listeners a way to potentially profit from thinking outside the box. Today's program will uncover the inconsistent movements and higher volatility in the equity markets with this access to information age, technology. I'll spend the hour showing how CNBC, Bloomberg, and even Fox Business tap into the emotions of the everyday investor and how maybe you can profit from your portfolios from the potential long-term drawdowns. Next week, we'll have Thomas Hagstrom, a portfolio manager with F-Squared and investment committee member of the Red Hot Alpha Sector Premium Fund, a fund that's taken Wall Street by storm and aims to limit downside losses by raising cash in times of market stress. So come back if you like what you hear. So let's get started. We have titled today's show, Why Buy and Hold is Dead, and what we believe has been a new normal for a few years. So today's agenda, we'll look back at four decades Consider the effects of emotions play on the market, and then we'll spend some time unpacking a strategy that will address some of the common concerns in order to restore some confidence to meet your goals during times of uncertainty. We'll look at what's changed, what hasn't changed, and how we can make a plan. So let's start off with an historical view of the market. Uh, to begin, let's go back into the 70s. We're going to take you back 30 years during a period of recovery from 1974 to 1975, when there were a lot of market downturns, really about 10% or more, there were nine of them. So the market downturns were based on a decline of about 10% of the S&P 500, excluding dividends and distributions. And with every new market decline, there's a 50% minimum recovery after each one. So despite looking at all these losses and the coverage that's underway, Headlines were always helping investors to feel confident about where, what they were doing with their money and what was going on. The U.S. was pulling out of Vietnam in 1973, but what, what once seemed in 
indomitable, what's called a nifty 50, it plunged about 48% loss. That decline ended with an Iran hostage crisis back at Three Mile Island in 1978 and 1979. Let's take a look at uh, moving forward on, on what would happen today with this access to media. There was a time of innovation back in the 70s. We were starting uh, – the Apple computer wasn't invented yet. You had Bill Gates creating Microsoft. Not people, not many people took notice when two small startups uh, began in 1975 and 76. But today, they're the two largest companies in the world, Apple and Microsoft. We ended the era, like we said earlier, with the Iran hostage crisis and the three-mile iron nuclear accident. But let's take a different perspective. Was it all bad at this time? It was also a time of innovation and entrepreneurship. Not too many people took notice when when we moved ahead with uh, uh, unemployment, moved ahead with, with oil embargo crisis. Um, so what we want to uncover and find is the headline news and, and what some of the topics were. I'm looking at an article from 1975, and the headline said, Skittishness is mounting among investors, and some advisors urge boost in cash positions. Another headline by the Wall Street Journal said, Market has seen headed lower due to economic confusion. And then in 1979, another article from Business Week said, This is the death of equities. So you might be thinking from a few years ago, but it's different this time. While they could have been fairly recent news, you know, as we just said, it was 30, 35 years ago. So while the past is no guarantee of the future, those investors who stayed the course in 1975 to today in 2014 were rewarded for their perseverance. Well, let's look what hasn't changed. What hasn't changed is the supply and demand model. There's still economic and global concerns. Uh, human behavior, which is greed and fear, still takes everybody by emotion. So what we want to look at is, is, as we described back in the 1970s, these same economic problems, both U.S. and global, challenges haven't gone away. And then lastly, that human behavior, that feed and greer, feed, feed and, feed, uh, greed and fear, it still exists every day as we look at headline news. What has changed? Well, what's changed today is the rate at which we receive information and the number of investment products that are out there. It certainly feels different every day when you hear uh, someone from CNBC or Fox or, or even uh, uh, Bloomberg come out and start giving uh, daily information and news. Let's just take a look at yesterday. The major averages advanced for basically a third straight session. Stocks entered yesterday uh, up about 162 points to 16,424. The S&P 500 gained 19 points to 1862. And before the open, we had all these reports from CNBC and Fox News where they showed manufacturing activity improved in March. And then as we got into the open, the market added to its gain by following a commentary from the Fed. In a speech yesterday, Janet Yellen, she indicated that the central bank is likely to remain accommodative on interest rates for the foreseeable future, which began an increase 
to 162 points on the Dow. There's no other market than today that you can make a statement on CNBC or the media or the news and have a direct impact within seconds on Wall Street. So let's take a look through what happened in the rise of CNBC. We're going to look at these past market patterns. Let's take 20 years ago um, when we looked at uh, CNBC. They basically were a small small group. They were kind of reporting the news uh, every few hours. Uh, the, uh, in 1991, they were about 17 million homes in their second year. By 1995, they had gone to these live market hours. And these live market hours started getting commercialization of the Internet. If you remember, the Internet wasn't out in 94 and 95. So we started this Internet process by the, in 1995. In 94, CNBC started what's called the Power Lunch Hour. It was basically where you'd wake up in the morning, have a quick business news, go off and have a lot of interviews, and then at Power Lunch, you'd come back and see what's happening in the market from 12 to 1. And then in 1996, they, they launched the European and, and, and Asian versions of CNBC, creating more viewership. In 1997, the Dow Jones and the Wall Street Journal signed a content-sharing agreement, which allows us to get more information access to. And then we all remember 98 and 99 as the, we reported every day on CNBC, the markets used to go bigger and faster and greater, and we saw uh, a market take off 50%. And it was the final year of the dot-com phase. In that year, CNBC had infiltrated 17 million homes in 1991. And by 1999, they had almost been in over 300 million homes worldwide. So let's take a look at how the crash began. Can anyone now guess what the average total return from the S&P 500 was from 1995 to 2000 during the increase of that market area? It's a staggering statistic. In February of 2000, the market peaked. And that month, $18.4 billion went into the equity mutual funds. Nobody wanted to be left out of the game of making money. The next few months, the dot-com started going bust. And a few, and a year later, our nation televised the attacks of 9-11 and then the Enron scandal, which eventually led to the dissolution of Arthur Anderson, one of the five largest audit and accounting partnerships in the world. In addition to being the largest bankruptcy and reorganization in American history at the time, $63.4 billion. Shareholders lost $11 billion in a 60-day period. The following year, we can follow up to WorldCom, where they filed Chapter 11, becoming the largest case at the time. The investors basically sold out of the major corporations, worrying about the next scandal. And while the Senate worked on the Sarbanes-Oxley Act of 2002, giving an overly complex regulatory environment into the U.S. financial markets, the market bottomed in October 2002, almost 12 years ago. And the PIMCO Total Return Bond Fund became the nation's largest fund on 18 months of fear. So think about that. As the market's bottoming, more people are taking all their money and buying bonds after a 40% correction. It became the third time in history that the market had a back-to-back negative year. It did turn out that the U.S. reeled off five straight positive years after that. 
So by 2007, CNBC had captured audiences with mad money and were in 390 million homes. But our country's scandals and greed began to untake and unfold again. So um, as we go back and, and, and look at what we're doing, we're going to come back after commercial break um, and kind of follow you into the into the VIX, follow you into how the volatility is created. Uh, we're going to go into a couple headlines with uh, with CNBC and and how, how they filled your pain. We have one lady uh, named Susie Krakauer. She said basically your anxiety, your greed, your outrage, and your optimism, and by tapping to the emotions about the market, the candle. The the channel will be cash in on all your emotions. Let's take a break, and we'll come back. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Game-changing technologies and strategies are transformational, exciting, and disruptive for a reason. They shake up your status quo. They get you thinking about new ways to scale, compete, and grow. They move you in amazing new directions. You're invited to take your coffee break with Game Changers on Thursdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time for our special series on the future of business. Learn how you can become the transformational leader who takes your company across the finish line as you look ahead to the next breakthrough wave of innovation. The Future of Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP on the Business Channel. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Tune into the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to Media and Your Money with Jason Steele. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to jason.steele at westonbanks.com. That's jason.steele at westonbanks.com. Now, back to media and your money. Welcome back, everyone. So, again, what's in our inaugural show of media and your money? And I am your host, Jason Steele. 
Um, if you're just joining us, we basically have just spent a few minutes talking about how uh, the access to information age via CNBC, Fox News, uh, uh, and any other media channel has tapped into the emotions of the average investor today. And that the volatility that you see today is really accustomed to what we report every second. So what I'm going to look at right now is uh, uh, some of the quotes that I found uh, from some of our, our, our research going back to CNN Money. Um, in April 3rd of 2008, one of the uh, headlines in the, uh, of CNN said, CNBC feels your pain. And I left the show with saying, they feel your pain and your anxiety and your greed and your outrage and your optimism. And by tapping into emotions about the market, the channel was cashing in. And it's unbelievable with the invention of Mad Money and uh, Jim Cramer of how these guys basically just tout stocks um, and basically are, are getting questions answered at them. And they can just throw some ideas. They can say Steve Jobs has passed away. Um, Apple could be correcting. And when that happened, they had to actually turn around and, and take Apple off the stock market that day when Steve Jobs died. No – other industry 20, 25 years ago, we would ever halt at a stock with the death of a CEO. But they knew that it once they hit the radio raves that Steve Jobs had passed away, they had to put a spin on it that evening um, and halt the stock and talk about how there's going to be great management in years coming forward. I got another quote here from uh, Monroe Medelson Research back in 2008 when the Internet was getting back together and after we had seen the crash. It says the typical CNBC viewer has a net worth of $2.7 million with an average income of $156,000. So think about that. $2.7 million is roughly your average CNBC viewer who's running on their treadmill in the morning, who's uh, checking in the CNBC uh, futures every day, and wherever else can you go – to actually get the information, then CNBC at 6 a.m. in the morning and know exactly what the market's going to do before it opens at 9.30. Um, I got another quote by Susan Krakauer. I was telling you earlier that uh, uh, Su- Susan Krakauer is the strategic programming development uh, manager back in 2008 for CNN Money. And she made a quote that said, the market has a pulse and an emotion. You see it move. She says it's real. And so – we tap into that with access to information. So let's move on to uh, the volatility index um, and what a volatility index is, and we'll kind of go through a couple years of what happened in, in the late 2007, 8, 9, and how we were going to prepare for it again. So there's what's called the Chicago uh, Volatility Index, the VIX. The one way to use it is we measure this implied volatility by taking some prices of a, of a basket of stocks of putting call options. Uh, against the S&P 500. Uh, the VIX is, a, is, a, is used as a tool to, to kind of measure investor risk. A high reading on the VIX will, will mark periods of higher stock market volatility. And this high volatility also aligns with stock market bottoms. So low readings on this VIX would mark periods of lower volatility. And the periods of low volatility may last several years and are not really as, as good for identifying market tops. But the VIX is intended to be a forward-looking, uh, measuring the, the market's expected volatility over the next 30 days. And as a general trend, uh, the VIX uses uh, arises as the S&P 500 drops. And, and when the VIX is at a high, the S&P 500 is at a low, which may be good time to buy. 
So, however, if the VIX is at a high, there's a concern that the market is going to continue to go down. And some of the data I found compelling, um, and we could not ignore, was the amount of real-time information and volume during that market drop of 2001 and 2 and 2008. Let's go back to 98. Online trading was introduced. Um, two years later, in, in March of 2000, the stock market had just finished one of the best five years of annualized performance in stock market history. And markets were so enthusiastic that they were paying more than 50 times 10-year normalized earnings to own a, a broad market index like the S&P 500. Everyone was getting rich investing in those dot-coms and watching CNBC. In fact, housewives, when I was in the business, were calling their brokers to buy stocks like Red Hat, companies that had no earnings. Um, investors felt left behind and were, and were dumping millions into initial public offerings. And then, as we mentioned earlier, in September of 2001, most investors watched the Twin Towers come down on CNN, CNBC, Fox News, throwing in more emotion to an already overinflated market. And then by 2005-06, as CNBC extended the, the CNBC viewing hours that we talked about from 5 a.m. to 6.30, and they currently use that, that tagline uh, today. So – when we go back and look at the VIX, you can follow all the emotion and, and look at the, 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 the tables that are out there. Um, we hit a high uh, September 2008. The average daily volume uh, of the New York Stock Exchange was 3.3 billion shares. And then in March of 2009, the Dow hit 6,547. That was the bottom of the market. We had more shares trading out in 2008. <laughs> In early 2009, um, just because of all that access to information, we go back and uh, and let's let's head forward and look what else has changed in the market today besides access to information, iPads, iPhones. Um, there was this guy named Walter Cronkite. Um, long gone are those days when he would come on and tell you what GE would do. And that's the way that most brokers got their information. And there was a program also called Value Line that major firms like Merrill Lynch and J.P. Morgan would pick up. And that's how those information was coming across. When you call a broker and ask what's going to GE, there wasn't the internet in the actual uh, uh, earnings release every second of the day that you could pick up to make a decision on. It was Value Line and, and, and market data by those analysts. And that's how we were able to hold a buy and hold back then because we wouldn't report all the negative information every second. So what else has changed? Let's move on. What else has changed is, is product overload. Um, product overload is huge. Today, there's 22,000 mutual funds. Um, more than the, uh, the 70s and 80s, we had about uh, 500 in the early 70s. We had five major companies. Um, the first mutual fund was MFS, which came out in 1924. And then by 1982, uh, they were bought by Sun Life of Canada. By 1975, there were five other major players in the mutual fund area. In 1978, there were approximately 413 mutual funds. As we mentioned today, there's 22,000. And the reason is is that you know there's in the U.S. Everybody wants to get rich. Everybody wants to find a way to find a way to capitalize. We are the richest uh, uh, country in the world. Um, and we basically have a free enterprise. And so capturing people's money and, and being telling them how they can invest is, is a great way to, uh, to move forward. So let's take a look at what John Bogle said. 
John Vogel said a lot of the volatility happens today is because it's attributed to too many fund choices, the great majority of which are too undiversified to meet the typical investor's needs. Such along with the emotions of greed and fear, they create an atmosphere whereby people are often tempted to make the wrong choices at the wrong times. And that was quoted by John Vogel, former CEO of Vanguard Funds. Now, if if you add hedge funds into the game and the top 25 hedge fund managers – they were combined about $11.6 billion in 2009 on an average of $464 million apiece. Today, that's about $23 billion. It's grown in four years to about $600 million apiece. We go back to 2009. Let's go back and talk about mutual funds in general. Mutual funds in general are dictated by prospectus. So if I happen to own what's called the large cap growth fund – that large growth growth fund is going to issue a prospectus, and that prospectus is going to tell you what box I have to play in. And I have to play in, let's say, large cap growth or value. And within that prospectus, as I grow and, and do good, and I'm a junior broker with an average salary of probably $100,000 managing uh, uh, that fund with an analyst uh, that's ahead of me, I'm not going to be able to get a cash. Let's just talk about that. See, when you buy into a prospectus – FINRA says that when you buy into these funds, you've got to stay in your style box. And so if you've got small cap, mid cap, large cap, value, growth, international commodities, you play in that box and you create asset allocation based on what you're trying to create for mid cap or small cap. Again, if I'm a large cap growth company and I get to $22 billion under management and I might be American funds, I might be Fidelity, I might be ING or iShares or Good Harbor – um, or Harbor uh, or, or uh, uh, Feder- uh, Fidelity or Federated, I'm going to have to manage money to a style box. And so we let's go back and look what happened in 2007 and 8, 2001, 2. As we uncovered this negative information in 2001, 2, we watched 9 11, we talked about that. In 2007, 8, people were running on their treadmills and looking at CNBC and picking up the Dow futures and watching the market fall every day 500 points. I was getting phone calls of, you know, do we need to get out? Do we need to get out? And, you know, the average broker would say, you know, it'll come back. Just buy and hold because we've been trained. But nobody had actually uncovered all of the access to information like we have. Um, and so we got out. We tell you, you know what, let's, let's, let's not take the buy and hold approach. We got out. And the way we would have to get out is I actually physically have to go in and sell that mutual fund. Physically go in and make a trade on that small cap fund, that large cap fund, that mid cap fund, sell by sell by sell. And so in these programs that we would have at the regional brokerage firms, there's not an easy button to hit that takes it by the cash. We're actually having to go in account by account by account. And so if you think of the average investor with uh, – or the average broker with, say, a, a, an 80 or $90 million book and, and about 400 accounts and 90 major households – it would take him two weeks to go account by account by account, sell mid-cap, sell large-cap, pull the trades up, call the clients, talk through it. So because that's the only way you could have actually gotten out of the, out of the market uh, with the mutual funds. Um, so again, mutual funds are, are dictated by prospectus. Uh, they don't have the availability to go to cash. Uh, the manager's not going to hit the easy button. 
because you signed up and signed an agreement within the prospectus that you're willing to buy large cap value. And so all the trips ride when the market's going up and all the trips fall when the market's going down. In fact, I was looking at one prospectus uh, a few weeks ago, and the prospectus said that the manager had the availability to raise up to 10% in cash and T-bills. So to use an analogy of a battleship, it's like going to war with a 1,000 sailors in a battleship, and you see the torpedoes coming, and they hit the ship. And basically, the captain says, you 10 men, you may get in the lifeboat. The other 990 are going down with the ship. Not a great way to manage your money. Um, and so we weren't prepared for that going forward. Let's take another commercial break, and we'll get back and talk about our strategic solution of how you basically can combat the access to volatility. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Hi, I'm Ed Krell, CEO of Destination Maternity. We proudly support the March of Dimes work to reduce the rate of premature birth. The numbers have gone down in the past five years, but still, nearly half a million babies are born too soon in the United States each year. We're helping the March of Dimes fund cutting-edge research and community programs to help more moms have full-term pregnancies and healthy babies. Join us in working together for stronger, healthier babies. Visit MarchofDimes.com. Do you want to know what's really going on these days? Well, Capital Thinking takes you inside the worlds of policy, politics, law, and business. What happens in Washington, on Wall Street, and in our nation's legal system impacts your business every day. We're taking you on a behind-the-scenes tour of all of it. Each week, we bring you unfiltered conversation with a variety of influential policymakers, lawyers, and business leaders. I'm Kevin O'Neill, and I'm your host as Capital Thinking tours the halls of power. Join me for Capital Thinking on the Voice America Business Network each Thursday at noon Eastern and 9 a.m. Pacific Time. Tune into the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You are listening to Media and Your Money with Jason Steele. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to jason.steele at westonbanks.com. That's jason.steele at westonbanks.com. Now, back to media and your money. Welcome back. Um, so listeners, as we just kind of took that commercial break, I'm going to review real quickly again if you're catching in with us. Uh, we talked about today that the access to media uh, via the uh, uh, TV, CNBC, Fox News, uh, iPads, uh, constant streaming media has a tremendous amount of volatility in the market. And, and, and the belief of my firm, Weston Banks, uh, you can check us out at westonbanks.com, uh, is that you can forward think 
And if you watch the markets uh, and listen to markets every day and listen to the commentary, there is always a way to to kind of stay with the curve um, and be able to get out. That there is a a time to to buy and hold after down markets, but really as we get these market tops, um, we believe you have to be more tactical. So let's walk them through what you should do. What's some things that you should do as a as a as a portfolio. Uh, holder, uh, as you talk to your brokers, as you talk to your financial advisors, um, we feel like we came up with a better strategic solution to combat the access to information. So I'm going to kind of give you some ideas. Um, I call it forward thinking, investing for life and legacy. Um, and I think the only way you can manage money is to create what's called a yellow brick road. Uh, and that yellow brick road process is pretty easy. Uh, if you know you want to get to uh, $2.5 million by age 62 when you retire and you're 50 years old and you've been saving 17000 a year in your retirement plan and you've got a uh, mutual fund you're buying and you already know your roadmap or you have to make your roadmap, um, that yellow brick road needs to stay front and center with you. At all times. So, so what we'd like to do is, is kind of educate you and, and, and encourage you to create a plan that will identify these year in values that would serve as your annual benchmark, not the market. So to use an example, uh, uh, one of our clients had given us a, a, a sizable amount of money in, in 2009 at the bottom. Uh, we came out and, and did our, Monte Carlo analysis, all the uh, the strategies they needed to kind of get into, ask the questions about what kind of money they needed to have at retirement, what kind of income they wanted to draw down, what kind of money they wanted to give to charity, even how much money they might want to pass away with. Um, and when you make the ledger, the Yellow Brick Road, most clients want to make 7 to 8% of their money. Well, let's go back five years now. Since we made this plan, the S&P 500 has grown 17 to 18% per year for five years. So not only are our client done better than his 8%. He's done, you know, double that than, eight, than his 8%. So what we want to encourage or encourage the viewer and the listeners today is that you've got to have this yellow brick road because somewhere along this yellow brick road, you're going to run into a cowardly line and you're going to find some opportunities where you don't want to invest. And this year might be one of them. Uh, the S&P is up you know, roughly 50 basis points for the year. Um, we're not having uh, any market growth so far for the first four months after having a 20 28 to 29% return last year. Um, so you're kind of concerned. But because you did three times the amount of money you wanted to do on your S&P index or your index fund last year, we believe you should be raising some of that money, raising that 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 excess above your, your year in value and putting it in some conservative bucket waiting for those down years. So that process will allow you to participate during times of euphoria that the market's moving so that you can also participate during market inefficiencies. Now, we believe it's a minimum of three accounts that you would make uh, an account for appreciation, an account for balanced, and an account for conservation. Um, I'm a very simple mind, and, and my mind says that if I'm going to put some money away for 10 to 15 years, um, it's going to be my speedboat, then I'm going to find some of the best mutual funds out there and best managers that are out there that can help me combat that. And uh, we've got some lineup in the next few weeks. They'll talk about some of the managers that will go to cash because the one rule that I, we have put in place is that if I'm going to be holding for 10 to 15 years on a long-term plan, my one rule on my appreciation account, why I participate with protection, is that I want them to go to cash. So every manager that we have picked inside of our appreciation bucket will have a cash option call in times of market stress during those 2001, 2, 7, 8 market declines through the access to information and media. We also make what's called a balanced account. 
you know, that's going to be my four to six year time frame, maybe seven year time frame where I want to buy a new car and I want to, you know, get my kids going to private school and education. I want to renovate the kitchen. I might want a vacation home. So we go out there and try to find some managers that can give us 4% yields and everything we put in that portfolio because we want to get paid to wait. This is a year that you're probably going to do better off in a high dividend income, 50% fixed income, 50% equity account than, than your appreciation accounts. We got money coming in while the market goes sideways. Um, the good example is that bonds have already outperformed uh, stocks this year uh, for 2014. And then we're going to make our conservation account. And our conservation account is going to have all my short-term needs. But it's also the bucket that collects all that excess money that I'm taking off that appreciation account. Again, going back to 2009, you put some money in and we use a million dollars and you make a ledger for 8% and that client starts off at 80-20, 80% in the stock market, 20% in, in bonds. Um, and next thing you know, he had a 40% comeback in 2009. 2010, he had a 14% comeback. 2011, uh, he basically did maybe, maybe plus two, plus five percent. We had a kind of a flat year. 2012, he does 15 percent. 2013, he does 28 percent or in the high 20s because he was invested in a diversified program. But think about that. He's done an average of between 15 and 17 percent the last five years. So if he was actually looking at his annual benchmarks, he'd be raising the money off every two to five percent as he does well and puts in that conservation waiting for those black uh, years that would come, those black swan years or those negative information years, uh, which could be arising here as we as we uh, have a higher debt ceiling uh, move forward. So if the overall markets perform well, then we have the opportunity for equities to, to match those excess gains and establish those benchmarks. But as we see those negative years come in, we want to be the person that started 80-20 is now only 50-50 which means I've got 50% of my money sitting on the sideline making 3 to 4% in a conservation account. And so we want to be able to push all that money back into the market when the time is right. And we can talk about uh, market inefficiencies, and we'll have a later show in a few weeks, uh, talk about how to profit from government, government intervention. Because as I can tell you today, there was a, a group in 2002, as the market was spiraling, the government got involved and said, we got to find a better way for WorldCom and Enron and all these companies that are, that are uh, making forward-looking statements. we got to create a program and a rule that can allow us to officiate better or govern better. So they made Sarbanes-Oxley. And believe it or not, in 2002, when Sarbanes-Oxley was created, we basically hit the bottom of the market in that first decline in 2002. Well, let's fast forward. That was kind of the stopping point. Let's fast forward to 2009. Markets falling, markets falling, markets falling, and all of a sudden we get Obama uh, elected as president. Uh, he creates a program called TARP in March, and within 48 hours, and uh, the market stops the spiraling dagger, completely hits the bottom because TARP was going to bail out all our financial institutions, and that stopped the market from collapsing, and we immediately uh, returned to 40, 45 percent uh, that year back on the S&P 500. So what we try to do in our piece as we're looking at this negative information is look for when government intervenes. Um, we've had Q1, Q2, Q3 uh, in the last couple of years. Uh, we've seen uh, Bernanke, an issue uh, where we're putting $85 billion a month buying back T-bills. Now we're decreasing that, um, and now we're seeing the market, the volatility as we decrease it. So we've profited from that. So our whole goal is to, to pull those excess gains as we're doing well during uh, market runs. 
Um, and then dollar cost average back into the market, pay off debt, uh, use some stewardship. And so if you have this yellow brick road program, that's going to be the best place possible uh, for you to gain access. And so I encourage all our listeners today to, to, to go to westonbanks.com. Uh, check out what we're working on. Uh, next week, we will have uh, uh, F Squared. Uh, one of our uh, interviewees will will be one of the investment committee's um, members for one of the red-hot uh, Alpha Sector Premium Fund. Uh, his, his name is uh, Thomas Hagstrom. He'll be here talking about tactical management. Um, and with your IRA money, we definitely believe that there's an opportunity uh, where you can Raise cash, go to cash, move, chase the emotion we're talking about, uh, follow the sectors to the European, follow the sectors to the U.S. You don't need to be asset allocated because you don't pay any tax on it. And with this new access to media, um, you know, you can profit uh, heartily with your IRA money. So I want to thank everybody for listening today. Um, it has been uh, my pleasure to uh, be able to explore and educate as we look into the effects of media and the news. And we would love to be able to have some more opportunity for you to listen. Um, our lineup uh, will go F-squared next week. Uh, in two weeks, we'll have Good Harbor, uh, one of the tactical managers that's never experienced a down year, more than 2% either. Uh, it's got an 11-year track record. Uh, following that, we'll have Athena. Um, Athena is a manager that does behavioral finance that talks about, what we're, uh, about looking at the market every day. And then we'll walk into a couple other programs with Dorsey Wright, um, as well as to uh, 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 a whole show dedicated to the IRA enhancer moving forward. So, y'all enjoy your day. The weather's warming up. Uh, look for Easter uh, on Sunday. We all know why we're here for that. Um, uh, give God the glory and, and his raising of his son. And uh, we thank you for, for tuning in and, and look forward to tuning in with us next week. Thank you again for tuning in this week to Media and Your Money. Please join your host, Jason Steele, again next Thursday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll talk next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 